welcome to our 31st Scent for Month in Motion monthly podcast and forum produced in partnership with the City of Fremantle's Building Business Capacity Program. My apologies for being a couple of minutes late this morning. Um, you'll see that we're all set up in our new podcast studio here at the studio. Suite 7 at the Chamber, um, which we're really pleased to be in, but it just meant we were a little bit running late this morning. Um, my name is Denisha Quinlan, for those of you who haven't met me before, and I'm the CEO of the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. I would like to start today by acknowledging the traditional owners on the land on which we gather, the Wajak people, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Well, is there any other topic on our lips at the moment? Since the start of the pandemic in 2020, COVID-19 has had significant impact on our local Fremantle businesses across all sectors. Over the last two years, the Fremantle Chamber has been actively working to reduce negative impacts and assist businesses to comply with the ever-changing requirements of the state and federal government's management of the pandemic. There have been significant challenges in practice and procedures as the state faces the first community transition of the Omicron variant at the moment. We prepare at some stage for the relaxing of border restrictions uh, in the very near future. And we're also working through the requirements around compulsory vaccination and the new um, conditions in place um, through the state at the moment. High-risk industries, as we know, required full vaccination by December 31st. And we're now at a stage where evidence of vaccination is required for entry in most public venues and workplaces. There are significant penalties for non-compliance and employees are working through providing proof of their vaccination and businesses, how they maintain these records. Details on the new rules and in industries are different and being regularly updated by the state government. So many businesses are not just needing to consider how to manage compliance with these new directions, which may mean being prepared to refuse entry to service to some customers, dealing with the fallout of employees and, and their positions on some of these issues. There are a number of Fremantle businesses actively lobbying for bylaws to remove some of these restrictions. We've got frontline staff being put in positions that they've possibly never been in in recent weeks, trying to manage aggression and inappropriate behaviour from non-complying patrons. And we're also dealing, I guess, with a whole lot of unknowns and a whole lot of business uncertainty. From a Chamber perspective, it's imperative that Fremantle continues to be a destination of choice for businesses across all sectors and all visitors. This includes being a safe and welcoming community, and it also means ensuring our staff are vaccinated, our apps are updated, our checks are in place, and our workplaces are in the best possible position in the lead up to borders opening. It's important that we all review our practices regularly, look to ensure our workplaces are COVID safe, but there are so many questions about what that really means in practice. And I think most of my conversations have been at a fairly high level around the restrictions and what's been in place. Today, we are so fortunate to have an expert panel from our membership base whose careers are focused on keeping us healthy and well. We'll be taking a deep dive into the nitty gritty, the questions that we all wonder, maybe Google search or haven't even considered yet. And I know we have a number of listeners online, including a large contingent from Fremantle Port. So please feel free as we go through um, to type in any questions that you might have and um, Kelly will ensure that they are put to our panel also. So on a practical level, some of the things we'll be considering is what do we need to do to protect ourselves, our employees and our customers, and also our contractors? What extra things can we do to make sure we are in that best possible position? And if or when one of us goes down or a whole team goes down with COVID, how do we best recover to ensure our businesses can keep afloat and keep productive? So first on my panel is the amazing Dr. Sally Moore of Melville Family Health Centre. Melville Family Health Centre have been a long-term member of the Chamber and we're fortunate that Sally actually wears two hats with us. Dr. Sally Moore, in addition to being a GP registrar, specialising in general practice, is also an animal doctor. She has qualifications in both veterinarian science and a number of other medical areas, including graduating from both medical school and veterinarian school. She is one of a very small cohort of people across Australia who literally can treat all species. <laughs> Sally is a member of the Australian College of Emergency Medicine and is currently undertaking a training to become a human specialist in our emergency physician. She regularly brings advanced techniques from one field to the other, teaching 
human doctors a lot. And I know from most vets that most things that you um, look at often are across so many different species and you have to respond so incredibly quickly. I imagine they're incredible skills that you bring to the medical profession, Sally. Um, you graduated from Griffith University uh, in 2010 and you've worked across Australia as both an emergency doctor and in small animal specialist centres across the country. Sally, with that incredible technical background that you have, I'm really interested in your perspective, um, particularly, I guess, from the medical side of things, about how we should be preparing our workplaces for COVID. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess there's a lot of things that we need to consider. Um, I guess that is, first of all, like our own personal health in the workplace um, and then the health of our employees as well and then patrons is the other issue. Um, a lot of the government restrictions and recommendations have been suggested because they protect people in the workplace and protect staff. Um, I think a lot of these things we've kind of been doing for the last two years, really. Um, vaccination is really the absolute most important thing that we can do to protect ourselves and our employees and patrons. Mm. Um, helps to reduce shedding and also helps us to have more mild symptoms if we do get sick. Um, but for right from the beginning of the business, I guess, um, hand washing, hand washing, hand sterilisation, um, social distancing, which we've been doing for a long time now, uh, and then, you know, boundaries around reception, uh, allowing that one and a half metres so that people aren't coming too close. Um, and then also just on an individual health level, really making sure that our own health is kind of in the best possible place that we can be in um, before this kind of happens, so. Absolutely, and I think I'm really looking forward to hearing each one of our panel today talk about, you know, how we do get ourselves in our best possible position. Yeah. And, and one of the things you've mentioned, I think, you know, the simple things like hand washing, I keep joking to my children that they're gonna be the first generation that grows up that truly knows how to wash their hands. But I do worry that all of us have lost the, you know, the singing happy birthday, <laughs> the length of time. I'm noticing even in business meetings, we're still handshaking a lot. I, for some bizarre reason in Fremantle, you still get hugged a lot. It's a really lovely environment. <laughs> but, you know, I think those things we do have to constantly yeah. be thinking about. And they're so simple that you sometimes overlook them. But I guess from a medical perspective, that is the big transfer, isn't it? Yeah. And I think we started off very early in the pandemic with all of those things really in the forefront of our minds, like not coming too close to people, not touching people. And, and I think after two years, some of that's probably worn a little thin and we've kind of become a little bit complacent. But as the Omicron variant kind of starts to circulate in Perth, those are the kinds of things we just have to go back to. Mm. And they do they do work. They are effective. But they require habit, don't they? they like do. I laughed the other night that people, we were out at a function and people were literally taking their mask off to hug someone and then putting their mask back on again. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's that human behaviour. We're so used to yeah. connection and contact that it is really difficult to get our heads around those things. It's, it's true. And I think um, just trying to remember, um, you know, even there's lots of things we can do when we when we're out and about. And like you mm -hmm. said, mask wearing also is very important. Mm -hmm. um, choosing the correct mask is another thing. We all know that um, the P2s and uh, N95s are the most um, Can you describe what that masks. means in a bit more detail? So um, it talks about basically the filtration rate of the masks so they don't let the, the small viral particles through. So those masks are the only two masks that really actually prevent, like filter out the virus or stop the virus from infiltrating if you've got, if they fit really well with mm -hmm. no gaps. So um, you mean not wearing it down below your nose? Of course, yes. So, <laughs> yeah, so we, we definitely recommend choosing um, a, a mask that, you know, those are obviously the best, but mm. they're very difficult to come by as everyone knows and, mm. and a lot of people have had difficulty sourcing those, including um, GP practices. Mm. Um, the... The next best alternative is probably a surgical mask, mm -hmm. um, and then after that, maybe going for like a three a three layer cloth yeah. mask. Cloth is not being quite as um, 
effective, mm. um, especially with Omicron being more infectious. Okay. Um, there's just less viral particles. And it's all it. about balance, isn't it? Because, you know, from an environmental point of view, wearing mm. disposable masks and throwing them away all the yeah. time isn't ideal. No. Not washing your mask if you are wearing a cloth one isn't ideal either. You know, if yep. you're wearing a cloth mask, even if it is three layers for a week, it's probably still... Yeah. Not really that good. And, the yeah, the, the environmental um, <laughs> aspect does play on your mind a lot, especially with the disposable mm -hmm. masks. The If you're lucky enough to have a P2 or N95, you can reuse them for mm -hmm. a couple of days and, and that's purely because they are hard to come by. Um, making sure they dry up in between uses. Yes. And, and um, you can even put a fabric mask over the top of those to okay. kind of keep the outside of them clean yes. and not soiled. And that way you might be able to get, you know, potentially up to a week okay. there. Um, if I've had to reuse mine, the dashboard of my car is a really great place it to some sun. Them. <laughs> yeah, yep, I'm sure it gets to them out. I know 60 degrees in there. I'm going to digress because I do want to get to the big topics, yeah. but I'd love to ask you one thing that truly terrifies me is when people are in workplaces or cafes and they put their mask on, then they take it off, then they put it on the table, yeah. then they pick it back up again, then they put it back on their face, then they move it around and shuffle it, then they put their hand on the table. That's not good, is it, really? No, no. We really, we really we should be... clarify that for the rest of the universe? Yeah, <laughs> we really should be using the mask as almost a signal to ourselves to not touch our faces yes. so that when it's on, we're not touching and, you know, really keeping our hands away. And if you have to readjust it to use hand sanitizer beforehand, yeah. um, really like just not taking it on and off all the time is, yeah. is the best way. So I go for the stylish hang it off your ear look. Yep. In order to <laughs> yep. event putting it on the table. Um, yep. <laughs> but yes, I have noticed a lot of that. Anyway, I'm digressing completely. Um I guess one of the things about our bodies that I'd be really interested in is that transfer of germs from a medical perspective. Mm -hmm. And we are really talking about breath and yep. that then lands on a surface, we touch that surface and that then attacks our body basically is what we're really talking about, isn't it? So everything that we do to protect ourselves is trying to minimise that yep. transfer. Yeah, definitely. And and that's where, you know, we talk about in businesses regular wiping and sanitising mm -hmm. of door handles, benchtop surfaces, um, and really encouraging staff to, where possible, when they open doors, use feet, use elbows, you yeah. know, just minimise your contact with those surfaces that are frequently touched and so frequently breathed on. So do the back on. in, back out yeah. that I used to make my yeah. children do. Surgic, surgical yep. theatre entry <laughs> style. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and... With the surfaces and with the new variants, I mean, how long are we talking about them staying alive on surfaces? I don't actually know the answer to that, um, but the recommendation is to definitely use like a detergent and disinfectant in one. Okay. So, um, so that's so basically like a yeah disinfectant compound and actually a cleaning compound mm. together mm. is the recommendation. So, in the surgery, for example, what do you do when? Um, so we've got we've got are coming some, in and out all the time. Yeah, we've got specifically um, antiviral disinfectants mm -hmm. um, that we use um, in medical situations. So, spraying down um, bench tops, door handles, uh, chair handles, basically all those really frequently touched surfaces yeah. and doing that multiple times a day. Okay. And and certainly for us um, in general practice in between patients. Yes. So getting the Glen 20 out as yep. someone's leaving the door and just yep. giving it a good start. Basically, yes. Excellent. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I digress to the – I told Linda earlier I was going to be covering all the big issues today. Yeah. They're really – Yeah. That's right. Yeah. If, you can, if you can find yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Um, next on our panel is the lovely Linda Keane. Um, Linda is a pharmacist with Nourish Health in Fremantle. Um, Linda's always had a really strong interest in health and fitness and over the last 10 years she's um, discovered a love of triathlons including uh, competing in the Paris Marathon which would be another topic we'd love to have a chat to you about as well Linda. Um, you surround yourself by athletes who are incredibly committed to their health, nutrition and their well-being. And it was through that, I guess, circle and, and seeing those dedicated athletes that sowed a seed for you for a different kind of pharmacy. And you opened Nourish Health in Dunsborough in 2016, followed by Nourish in Wally Up Court uh, in Fremantle. And for those of you who haven't had a chance to visit Nourish in Fremantle, it's in such a beautiful location in Wally Up Court now opposite the playground. 
Um, the pharmacy has a team of health professionals who are based around compounding and nutrition with a focus on prevention. And the team believes that medication is not the only answer, that natural therapies can work alongside more conventional treatments to achieve optimal health. Professionally, Linda, you were appointed to the pharmacy board of WA by the health minister in 2019. You're a long-term member of the WA branch committee of the Pharmacy Guild. You've got an MBA and are a graduate of the Australian Company of Directors. Um, I don't think there's anyone more perfect that can straddle the uh, the impacts on health and business um, than reading those qualifications there. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> I'm not, I'm no expert. <laughs> Linda, as a business owner with access to such a range of healthcare solutions, what are some of the things we can do to navigate our way through an environment that's changing so daily and protect our teams and our customers from your perspective? Well, I think a lot of the things that Sally said I would definitely 100% endorse. Um, there's physical barriers, there's, you know, the masks, the cleaning, all of those routine things. Um, from a business sense, one of the things I've noticed in the last few months is that the level of anxiety of people has been increasing massively and that has translated back into some abuse to, you know, staff. Uh, so one of the things I think that businesses could do is or what we think we should do is be like a a calming voice if you know and and give very clear instructions mm -hmm. as to what think people need um for example you know two years ago when we first had the the um pandemic started what we did is we started doing little podcasts like this and we did weekly updates to both the staff where we had weekly team meetings letting them know what was going on and we also let the customers know this is what is going to be required when you come to our pharmacy mm -hmm. this is what we are doing to clean the pharmacy and then yeah. it um i think it gave a level of confidence for them and a um I, so I think that's something that is coming up again and I think as a business owner and as a there needs to be some kind of resilient, um, you know, building up confidence of the people that you know what you're doing and that you actually have a plan because um, I certainly hear, you know, from Martin Gowan's point of view, everyone goes, he hasn't got a plan, he hasn't got a plan yeah. but and that's what's causing anxiety. So um, that would be one thing and my other thing would be, to let your staff know that they're important and um, really make sure that their their health and their mental well-being is kind of being looked after as well because I think we potentially as business owners will, are having people leaving, one, because they don't want to get vaccinated, but mm -hmm. two, because they're just too stressed um, and no business can afford to have staff leaving. So mm -hmm. that was the other. I think they're calling it the, the great resignation or the great Absolutely. movement. And yes. I think you're yeah. right. It's a combination of having had time to sit and reflect. And I think a lot of employees are feeling like they want more life balance, having had some yes. of those changes happen. Um, but also, as you've said, I think that we've all been in a place of protecting ourselves from COVID to such an extent. I think also there's a great deal of fear now and resignation that Potentially we are all going to get it at yes. some point in time and we're all going to be okay, but that needs to kind of be reassured through the someone, community. Someone needs to keep saying that. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and from a, I guess, from a, a pharmacy perspective, um, you know, in terms of things that we could be doing now to protect ourselves, you know, I know my mum and my nana would be saying, have you stocked up on your vitamin C and doing all of these right things to make sure you're in the best possible place? What would you recommend from that point of view that people and teams should be doing to look after themselves? If, from a personal health perspective, mm. um, I think there's a lot of things you can do. Um, number one, you get the right amount of sleep. Your body can't repair if it if it doesn't have the right amount of sleep. Um, number two, reduce the stress in your life, but that's very hard to do. And yoga, yeah, I'm really you know, looking that's going to be talking about a way of reducing and stress yeah, in your life. So but right. you know, if you can't reduce the stress in your life, you know, be with family and friends, and, mm. and you know, get that connection from people. But from a um, building your body up because, I mean, your body's fantastic at fighting infection. It has great systems in place. Um, 
and really rather than taking a whole lot of supplements, I would say only take something if you're not doing all the right things. Yeah. So your body doesn't need extra of things. If you're eating a really well-balanced diet, if you're exercising, you're getting sleep, you're doing all that, then you don't probably need anything else. If you do not do all of those things, like probably most of us, there are some things that we would be recommending mm. just to not boost your immune system but support your immune system because your immune system is going to do the job. Um, that would be things like vitamin D, okay. vitamin C and zinc. They're okay. the three main things. Um, and, again, not taking these supplements forever. No, not grabbing and taking the whole oh shelf of them. Not taking, <laughs> not taking mega doses, being sensible about what you take. So Absolutely. that would be what we would say. Wonderful. And I'll come back to a couple of those points, mm. particularly stress, because I think it's a catch-22 at the moment that life is such a stressful environment. I'd love to hear your perspective on that, Sally, um, as well in a little while. Um, third on our panel, Natalie Snook. Um, Natalie um, is the Director of Momentum Coaching and Yoga. Uh, Natalie is a wonderful um, and active member of the chamber, as well as being a mindfulness specialist, leadership coach, and the founder of Momentum Coaching and Yoga. And I understand last year you celebrated your 10th anniversary um, of the business, which is amazing. Natalie believes that self-awareness or mindfulness is the cornerstone of change, transformation, and successful management of our health. Natalie helps individuals, leaders, business owners and teams accomplish great and deeper levels of personal and professional fulfilment through mindfulness coaching and yogic practice. You're a qualified yoga meditation teacher and has personally been committed to daily yoga and meditation practice for over 15 years. And that's why you are always so wonderfully calm and centered when we talk to you, I think, Natalie. Natalie has a background as a senior human resource manager working in health and local government, including our own city of Fremantle. She's a professional member of the International Coaching Federation and Yoga Australia. Natalie, as we've just been discussing, we've spent a lot of time talking about and fearing illness in many ways. Let's now transfer a bit to talk about wellness. Um, how would you define wellness and what does it really mean from your perspective? Yeah, thanks, Tanisha. So when we think about wellness, we need to think about the whole of our being. So there are many different facets of wellness, physical, mental, emotional, social and spiritual. And for someone to be truly well, we need all of those aspects of life um, fired up. So we need to be able to, to draw on our reserves in all of those dimensions of our life in order to stay truly healthy and well, and not only for ourselves, but those in our immediate environment. And I think as business owners and as employers, we're in great positions to be able to not just do that for ourselves, but to lead that for our teams, to lead that for our patrons, and to mm -hmm. really be a positive influence on those around us. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, even from a personal perspective, I, I've themed this year Go Slow and Buy Art because I think, you know, I've spent half my life running at such a speed of knots and you get to a certain age where your body just doesn't let you do that anymore. And, you know, part of what we're experiencing with the pandemic is a, a reason to actually focus on our inner health and our wellness and say, if we're truly going to fight this pandemic we actually all have an individual responsibility to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others around us um what sorts of approaches or practice would you be putting in place now to help people prepare and navigate I guess what may face us once those borders open so my suggestion would be for people to understand the nature of anxiety because we are all we all have some level of fear around what the virus is, what the virus can or do, whether we have the capacity to be okay in it, our loved ones, etc. If we really take a deeper look at what anxiety is within ourselves, anxiety is a state that we can actively manage and that we can learn how to cope with in ourselves so that we're able to have full resources to our wisdom. The moment we get anxious and fearful, our parasympathetic nervous system is uh, is shut down and so we're not able then to um, discern and to be at our best. We just become a very reactive and we 
the last thing we all need on top of everything else that's going on is another level of reactivity from someone that we are um, faced with. So, you know, my suggestion to people is very simple practices that bring you into your own body, that allow you to feel the movement of energy in your body to know when you are in the grip of anxiety and how to self-calm and how to self-soothe. That would be the number one strategy I would recommend for everybody worldwide through this pandemic. Mm. And once we're able to self-soothe, then we're able to make a really great empowered decision about how we move forward. And what we'll find is that when we don't have anxiety or fear, when that is not ruling our life, then we are able to know that, yes, we may get COVID. The 99.9% chance of having a full recovery is very real for most people. And unfortunately, we don't get that information coming from our governments. And that's one of my own personal beliefs that you know, we need to have more positive language about those that have actually had COVID and made a full recovery mm. because that is actually the majority of people who've had COVID in Australia. Majority of people have not actually died from mm. COVID. Mm. So it's really taking the time to understand a full picture and to remind yourself of the full picture and to manage anxiety. I think it's such an important point and I think it echoes what Linda was also saying as business leaders, being aware of our own fears and our own anxiety is a first step and also having a real plan, a plan that maps through different scenarios of what might happen to you personally, to a group of people and be prepared to that also helps in the self-soothing to go, I've got a plan for this and I know absolutely where I'm going and I'd love to come back and talk a little bit about some of those things. Um, on the point that um, Natalie just raised, Sally, I'd love your perspective just around, you know, what are the symptoms? What happens if we do get sick? What do we actually need to do to ensure that our recovery is really strong? Yeah, of course. So um, as you said, most people who actually catch COVID have quite mild symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, the mild symptoms usually last for around two weeks is um, what we're hearing. Okay. Um, mild symptoms like uh, dry cough, sore throat, fatigue, um, sometimes nausea and vomiting mm -hmm. with, um, with Omicron, um, and just your typical kind of cold and flu symptoms, basically. But most most people have mild disease. Um, the And you mentioned you were after the into like what people could expect with it or? Yeah, yeah, and I guess, you know, there's one of the things that's been talked about because, again, in through the media we hear a lot of the, the fear stories of you get COVID, you're going to stop breathing, you're going to need yeah. to ring an ambulance, we're all going to be choked in an ambulance queue for the rest of our lives and we're going to die. You yeah. know, that's kind of the scenario <laughs> we're hearing. Yeah. What is the reality? Like, so, you know, if we're at home and we've got a yeah. little nose, what, what are we really expecting? So um, I guess the best advice, you know, to, to stop people worrying like that mm. is... Um, I mean, most of us would have a regular GP that we see all the time. Yeah. And, and the best advice really is to make sure you've seen your GP in the last couple of months or especially mm. in the last six months. Make sure they're familiar with your health as it stands now. Make sure they know all the medications you're taking and make sure you have really good health literacy yourself. Mm. Understand your medical conditions. Have a list of your medications at home because telehealth is going to be your point of access basically for medical care predominantly. Okay. And that's um, something people don't know. So we should, if you're mm -hmm. feeling those symptoms, in addition to obviously getting testing, you should be putting a call into telehealth as the first point of call. Yeah, it's, I think if you've, yeah, if you've got any concerns personally about how you're coping with COVID, mm -hmm. then your GP is the first place yes. you should call. Um as you talk, we talked about a lot about the mild symptoms, mm. um, some of the kind of more moderate symptoms when you should seek help are really um, some shortness of breath, especially when kind of walking around and caring for yourself at home. Um, nausea and vomiting to the point where, you know, you're not able to keep food down, you've noticed a drop off in your urine output, mm. things like that. Like when you're starting to really um, struggle to care for yourself, that's when you should start to make those phone calls. Um, there are... There, there is also, um, as we're going to become more aware, um, the COVID home management um, yeah. service that's become, that will be available, um, which is going to be a really great resource. Um, basically, you can self-register. So if you get a positive um, PCR or positive rat test at home, you can register your positive rat test. 
um, and then register for the home service team. So there's actually a, it's, it's quite simple and easy to fill out online. They ask you a couple of questions, you yeah. fill in your data um, and they ask you all your symptoms, what you have, and then they decide whether you're at risk and need home management by the COVID team or whether you can be managed at home by your GP. And that's really practical advice as business owners and leaders as well as um, Natalie was saying, just to know, okay, if one of my team presents and they're in an absolute flurry and a panic about what to do, there's really simple steps that they need to follow. There are, yeah. yeah. And the one and the one number that you know I keep reminding people of is one three COVID. Yeah. Um, so that's for people who don't have access to you know tablets, internet things. So especially our older population, um, that number is really helpful. And and you can actually get other people to register your tests, mm. call on behalf of you know you can call on behalf of another person or register on behalf of another person. And um, the other thing I'm hearing really clearly and calmly in all of that is we don't go to the internet and Google search and pretend that we know everything there is to know about COVID. We actually pick up the phone or we go and see, you know, or talk to our GPs yeah. through that process. And really most people will, will easily manage at home mm -hmm. with mild symptoms. Um, and that's really what the shift with, you know, the almost disappearance of Delta and yeah. this um, New surge of Omicron, um, really that we're seeing more mild disease. So okay. in all likelihood, if we catch it, that's probably what we're going to have. That's really good advice. Um, Linda, just talking about RATs that um, Sally mentioned, that's something else what? that I... What? RATs? Right. I don't know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> never heard of them. Never heard of them. Never um, seen them, another, I should say. <laughs> never seen them. Can you just talk us through what we expect? Do we bundle up as workplaces, you know, 100 RAT tests? Do we just get them as we need them? What's the process? How do we go through all of that? There is a scheme that's been launched for concession card holders um, mm -hmm. where they can come to a pharmacy and there are allowed a total of 10 tests over a two a three month period okay. so most I guess will come and get five tests the first month and five the second okay I mean, that's how easy if they can get them um, at the moment I've only heard of about three pharmacies that actually have them although I've heard Woolies yes so, I understand so Woolies has them. Yeah. I don't know how that works but um, anyway there there doses um, you know tests are being are coming in um, nobody can exactly you know we had I think I've got over 15,000 tests on order mm -hmm. um the other day a supplier rang and said I'm sending your money back because you have to prepay for all these You're sending your money back because the shipment that we were getting out of China is not coming now so okay. it's very up and down so we're going to still, at least in WA, rely on actually the, the formal testing processes and yes. we need to be recommending yes. our employees use those general the, for the a, systems. For a used. business, and I know what this is what I'm personally doing, is that I will be giving each of my team uh, one or two tests that they keep at home and um, the minute that they start to feel sick, show any symptoms of COVID, they will have to do a test and unless that test in, is um, negative, then they not to come to work. Okay. Um, I just want to say a couple of things about the tests because mm. um, the tests, the reason that the um, government didn't want to release tests into WA is that they're very unreliable and there's quite a lot of different tests. So you have to find a good quality test um, that is highly specific and highly sensitive. And I'll just explain yeah, the, two, the difference yeah. between the two. If something's highly specific, it means that it won't pick up other viruses. It'll only pick up the COVID virus as a positive. If it's highly sensitive, it'll only pick up it'll pick up the virus even in small quantities. So you want a test that is highly specific and highly sensitive. Lots of the tests out there are not. And how do we know that? Don't. Okay. Oh, no, you do. You do. If you <laughs> want to take the trouble to go to the TGA website, yeah. you can have a, on the TGA website there is a list of tests that have been approved. Um, the, so essentially the problem with the, um, a test is that you take the test and if you get a positive, it's highly likely that you are COVID positive. But if you get a negative, 
you can't be 100% sure that you're actually negative. So okay. you can't rely, you know, life and death kind of thing on yeah. that negative result. Um, so you may have to do a second test or you may end up having to do a PCR test. I guess the only benefit that I can see of the rats test is that if you do get a positive, at least, you know, say, say it's 50% effective, if you do get a positive, then at least 50% of the time you're taking yourself and isolating right. out of the community. Yeah. The other 50% potentially still could have COVID and potentially could, still could be spreading it. And mm. that's one of the problems in that it's very hard to, you know, test for mm. unless you do your PCRs. So. It's a really good point. Um, just while you have the mic, then I'll jump um, back to Natalie and then we'll obviously jump to the panel if there's any questions. Give me a wave, Kel. Um, Linda, we talked just a bit before we started today about, I guess, the, uh, taking yourself in and out. And there's been a lot of talk within our business community about A and B teams. And I know a lot of the banks and resource companies are really relying on that. Should we be looking at separating our workplaces or should it be more reactive, bearing in mind, I guess, a lot of Fremantle businesses are not large enough that we can actually manage A and B teams? And I was just interested in your experiences that you were talking through earlier. Um, back in when COVID first started, I've got the two pharmacies down in Dunsborough and we were able to um, break both pharmacies into two teams, less people working per day, but we had a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shift and a Friday, Saturday, Sunday shift. And that worked because at the time then we were dealing with the first variants of um, COVID and we didn't have that much spread. And as soon as we had spread, we had lockdown. Mm -hmm. So, and when we had lockdown, that meant people were coming to the door and they weren't coming inside. And, you know, most of the doctor's surgeries were only doing telehealth mm. and things like that. So the teams worked. It wouldn't have worked long term because you can't expect people to work every Friday, Saturday and Sunday yeah. for the rest of their lives, you know. And But they did get used to it and some people did <clears throat> did like the having three days off and four days off and, you know, they, they got a bit more life balance. Um, I don't think teams are going to work this time for us um, because if we are going to live with Omicron and COVID, one, if you had a team on a Monday and someone comes in and they're COVID positive, then that whole team is, if they're there for more than 15 minutes or whatever the um, time limit is going to be, that whole team has to go home. The next day someone else, your B team arrives and someone else comes in and you haven't got a C team and yeah. a D team and an E team as well. So... I think there's just too many people who will have it and be asymptomatic and still not realise they have it. Mm. So I think that means we have to fall back to the physical barriers like your masks, your screens, your checking at the door, um, checking in, you know, mm. those kind of things. They're going to become more important because I, the only other thing I would say just before I yeah, get it is that um, what we are also doing this time is... The times that you're most likely to catch COVID are when you haven't got your mask on, when you're eating and drinking. Mm. So we've stopped our tea room, our um, shared sort of facilities where people would normally come and have lunch and have said, if you want lunch, morning tea outside, mm. basically. Mm. That's While the weather's really, good. Really, really good um, advice. And because practical. you're sitting at the same spot, someone else is making their lunch at the same spot. You know, it's not like you all have different places that you can can go through that process and I think there's also been a lot of talk with the A and B teams that people are forgetting that people socialise out of work yes you know you might be really good friends with one of the managers at work and you're yep. going out with them vice yep. versa um I have heard some interesting stories just on really thinking outside the box um a lot of the hospitality venues in the city for example are actually working together as almost a co-op to say if my venue goes down, yes. then the team from this place may be able to come because in a hospitality venue, if the whole place shuts, it's yes. very awkward then to get a whole lot of new team in. And I guess for many of our businesses, even like at the Chamber, we have to stay open as we were discussing yes. to stamp um, export documents. But we've got a really small team of five. I can't afford to have an A and a B team. So the points that you make about our plan needing to reflect really clear sort of hygiene procedures and those sorts of things as best yes, we can. That's, that's what we have to rely on. 
And then also acknowledging that there may come a time where there's going to be a week where everybody's out and just how we actually deal with that. We had a, um, we were listed as a COVID site um, a week ago, um, but a low risk site. Mm. And the only reason when, mind you, we only got informed five days after the event and we thought we better close down. We have to do a deep clean. And then we went, hang on, we've cleaned four times a day for the last five days since that person came in. So there was no real point in closing. Closing, yeah. But it it did highlight to us that those small things are going to be the things that keep us, you know, like the fact that we had masks on, the fact that we had screens, the fact that we were asking people to check in, um, they put us at low risk. Yet the cafe across the road where people are sitting down for an hour having lunch is going to be a high risk. Yeah. yeah. And understanding that that's within your business I think is a yeah. really, really good point. And on the deep clean, having those sorts of things in place, understanding what is a deep clean, you know, is it one of your staff coming out and sprangling 20 around the room and leaving it or is it actually doing it on a more regular basis? But having those things articulated in your plan by the sounds of it are as important um, as some of those physical barriers. So we've got the physical barriers, we've got the environmental stuff going on. Natalie, one of the things I'm also interested in is, you know, with any kind of illness, the ability to keep your body and yourself mentally strong through that process. So let's work through a scenario where a workplace, you know, is potentially down and out. What sorts of things can we physically do to ensure that we're not continuing to, you know, exercise a billion times a day while we've got, you know, illness in our body? But are there things that we can do physically that just help us stay strong? Some simple ideas. Yeah, so, you know, our, like uh, Linda said, our, our body is a, an incredible mechanism for our own healing and, and health if we look after it. So one of the analogies I like to say to students sometimes is if you were told when you were born, uh, like you were going to buy a car, that you had one car for your whole lifetime, how would you treat it? This is our body. Mm-hmm. So regular maintenance of the body, regular exercise, regular time out, regular time in nature. I think one of the incredible benefits we have here in Western Australia in Fremantle is this abundant environment. And so sitting outside to have your lunch or for work teams is a great idea. Having outdoor meetings in the park under a tree is a really fantastic idea. Um, it's it, it will be invigorating for people. So that's a really fabulous practice. Um, but I think the way that we start the day is the way that our day will unfold. So those precious moments at the start of every day are really worthwhile to cultivate some sort of mindful habit, whether it be just some contemplative moments in your garden, watering the plants, whether it's sitting down for formal meditation or a yoga practice, um, whether it's um, just slowly sitting and sipping a cup of tea without scrolling through your iPhone, those simple daily practices over time add up. And this is a time when we can actually put some thought into the preparation about how am I going to uh, how, how am I going to be? How would I like to show up during these difficult times? And to put those practices and habits in place now, knowing that if we've kind of lapsed over summer, and I know many people perhaps had regular habits in place at the end of last year and maybe haven't picked those up yet, this is a time to go, okay, now's the time for me to get back into it. Mm. Now's the time for me to do some breath work. Now's the time for me to take my walks in nature. Now's the time for me to really up my self-care so that when we get to any critical moment, any critical point, we're resourced uh, and we all have that capacity. You know, that's the the tremendous, this resilience of our human spirit is absolutely there, but we've got to tap into it. And if we don't water it, then we will, we will, we will not do anything, but, you know. Yeah. I, I, yeah I, I, as you were talking through the car analogy, I was like, yes, yeah, sometimes I forget to put petrol in my car and oil. And I think that's actually reflective of how I actually approach my body as well. So, um, and a lovely point. I'm just going to stop and do a little bit of a plug for the, the Chambers um, Wellness Festival on the 25th, 20, 24th, 25th and 26th of um, this month. 
The lovely Natalie will be taking us through a salute to the sun down at Bathers Beach. We're hoping to get as many people down there as we can just to work through some really simple movement and just appreciate that doing business in Fremantle does mean we can walk after work, stand on a beach and watch the sunset or breathe or just keep our bodies moving while we can. And I think just even through this conversation now, I'm thinking, you know, even at the chamber, I think I'm going to be insisting everybody walks across the road, Michelle, and we instead of having our lunch at our desk, we're going to actually be having it in that lovely park across the road and I think we all need to start to really consider those sorts of ideas and we have the perfect environment to do it and I know my partner often says why don't you go and sit at the port and have your lunch sometimes and I'm like never even think of it and yet it's half a block from where I am um, we have a beautiful environment that we do need to actually be actively outdoors because as we know this virus can't survive in a great deal of sunshine and light and fresh air. So that's one of our advantages there. And vitamin D as well. And then we don't have to take the supplements, Linda. I like it, absolutely. Denisha, there's one, one other yeah. point that I would like to, to make about, I've talked about the anxiety and managing yeah. anxiety, but on the other end of the scale, I think we, we forget the power of compassion. And in this, uh, in these times, having compassion for ourselves—that yes, there are there are challenges ahead, but we've got the capacity to deal with that—and having compassion for all of those others around us that are all going through their own individual struggles is really important, and that has incredible benefits for the heart. You know, having a compassionate outlook on life, having a compassionate approach towards everyone around us is strengthening and resi and creates resilience rather than depletes us. So that's another really simple so, daily practice so that we can put into important. place. And it's interesting because one of the things, that, as I mentioned in my intro, that's really worrying me at the moment is the amount of aggression that our frontline staff are experiencing in Fremantle. And, you know, talking to parents of, you know, 18, 19-year-olds that are concerned to send their young children to work, to be at the front line of a hospitality venue or a cafe or a retail store and deal with the level of aggression that they're getting. Compassion is so important in that. And one of the things I think that came when we did the managing aggression training and also in our other podcast around mental health and wellness is understanding what you bring and what you have to tolerate as well and being strong enough in yourself to go if someone is being very aggressive towards me if I'm centered I have the ability to either walk away or to put myself you know in a position where I'm strong and I can actually not have to deal with it but be strong enough in ourselves to protect ourselves through that process. Sally, we did talk about stress at the very beginning and I think Natalie's point also, you know, with some wonderful strategies in terms of how to manage our stress and I loved your idea, Natalie, about waking up every morning and just setting ourselves up right for the day. The long-term impact, just not COVID aside, of stress on the body, can you just talk us through some of the things that it does and why we need to protect ourselves? Um, yeah, so stress um, obviously impacts us in uh, so many ways. Mm. Um, sleep is one of the big things that I notice. Um, when people are very stressed and anxious, their sleep deteriorates. Mm. And then unfortunately, as your sleep deteriorates, then so does your anxiety and your stress levels. So they, it's kind of a vicious circle there, unfortunately. Um, and then also, you know, things like um, our blood pressure tends to go mm. up. Um, we, you know, tremors, jittery, it's, it's, maybe sometimes caffeine consumption goes up yeah. too. Um, it's, look, all the things that um, we've kind of talked about mm. this morning, it's, it's, not, it's not great for us, but ultimately I think at the moment everyone has a little bit of stress and, and, that's, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. Um, it's there for a reason. You know, we've got to remember our stress response is there to protect us. Mm. Um, and and any time we kind of feel like that, I think preparation and, you know, preparedness is what makes us feel calm. Mm. Um, and that's when we talked about having a plan. And I think having a plan, knowing what to do for certain situations, mm. you know, when your health deteriorates, what being being prepared, I think, is something we can do to really help that as well. I'd love to, um, just quickly, Cal, is there any questions coming through? Everyone's just listening hard, which is good. Um, on the plan, if we run down the panel, if you had to put top three things in your preparedness plan as a business owner, both, you know, in the within the clinic as well as your medical practice, what would you be doing, Sally? Um, as a business owner, I, 
I guess it's very difficult as a business yeah. owner as a GP, but um, as a business owner, three things to prepare. I think... I mean, I'm even thinking in your own practice because a lot of our yeah. businesses are in situations like yours, whether you're a chiropractor or you're a yep. vet or, you know, you're dealing with a practice where customers are coming in, you've got a whole lot of things going on. What sort of things from your world that you would be putting into your plan? Um, I think the most important things are just uh, are what we've kind of discussed. Mm-hmm. So making sure um, our staff are vaccinated, making sure we're wearing our masks correctly, yeah. um, screens, barriers in place, things like that. Just all, all of those regular things we've been doing for, you know, two years now. Yeah. Um, they come, they've kind of become really important again. And I guess the we're more looking at, I know we talked about at the beginning, you know, um, flattening the curve, you know, mm. the reality is that it's Omicron's going to become, I guess, a part of the community. Yeah. Um, and it's really about flattening the curve now rather than eradicating and, and getting rid of this virus completely. So we do have to learn to live with it. And I guess that it's just all these preventative measures that we put in place mm-hmm. that it's kind of like that Swiss cheese model, you know, yeah. like all the holes have to line up. So if you've got multiple barriers and mechanisms in place, um, hopefully the virus spread will be slowed down because, you know, either the mask will stop it or the barrier will stop it or the distance will stop it or the fresh air and ventilation will stop it. So it's all of those things together that will prevent more people from catching it. Mm. Um, and I think if you if you want more, certainly more data to kind of understand what we're about to go through, um, looking at the numbers and the figures from South Australia I think is a really good start if people want to understand what's coming for us because I think that's probably one of the things that stresses people the most mm. we just don't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, South Australia has a very high vaccination rate, the same as Western Australia. Um, they're about, I would say, almost uh, seven or eight weeks ahead of where we are now um, and you can see that wave is come, has come and it's on the way out again with, you know, daily numbers topping around 5,000. Okay. So I'm quite actually hopeful looking at that data. It's actually quite reassuring um, for me. Um, And it looks like the wave has kind of come and is going again in around about seven to eight weeks. It seems to be what the trajectory is like. Yeah. So we may only really be looking at this intensely for the next couple of months. That's incredible. That's, I think, is the biggest thing to remember. You know, this isn't going to be huge issue for a really long time hopefully as you're saying that I was thinking about that a lovely old Irish girl um, once said to me just after I'd had a baby just remember this too will pass and I think there's so (laughs) much of that in this it will pass yeah Uh, and we just need to hold on be steady be centered as Natalie said be prepared in ourselves have those barriers in place and just know that we've got the capability to get through it yeah and it's just about slowing it down down. yeah slowing it down and, and keeping ourselves well in the meantime and having a good plan and knowing what to do should we catch it. So maybe my go slow by art might be actually a theme for everybody's year. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Linda, in your workplace, I guess very retail-facing, face, very yes. public-facing, what sorts of things would you put top of your plan or have you already put in your plan? Well, having a plan mm. um, and, and having a plan what we're actually thinking about at the moment is at the moment we can open, but if a pharmacist is not there, you cannot open. So we okay. are trying to think of how do we how do we cope if we're still trying to provide medication for people, doing Webster packs for people, um, you know, how do we do that if we have to close for 14 days? Mm. So we're trying to work out ways where if the pharmacist is sick and with COVID, how do we do it with a team? Does someone else come in from another pharmacy in a in a kind of like co-op, similar yeah, to the hospitality uh, venues, yeah. thing? Or do you know at at the end of the day you close and then some a pharmacist goes in after hours and does all of the checking of prescriptions and dispensing and then someone picks their scripts up in the morning and things mm-hmm. like that. So we've got a plan should things get worse and we've got a plan if some of our team gets um, sick. So number one, I'd be having a plan um, to communicating that plan to both the public and also to the rest of the team. Mm 
to make sure everybody is aware of what their their expectations are, what we're going to do, that we do have it under control, mm. you know, and like try and reduce that anxiety. Um, and probably the third thing would be to um, support my team uh, because they've had, you know, we've we've had it, we've mm. lots of abuse. I've had girls in tears. You know, one girl started her first day of work and got abused by someone on a petty little thing. Mm. And but obviously their anxiety was very high. She didn't know how to deal with it. So the third thing would be to make sure that we're supporting each other mm. as a as a team. Absolutely. That's lovely, Linda. Thank you. Natalie, um, I guess in an environment like yours, you've got people coming and going. It, it, you've got all of those additional um, restrictions around the, the physical space and mats and cleanliness and all of that. What's top on your plan in your top three? So my my top number one would be communication. So mm. just to keep the communication really open and honest and give people a chance to ask questions and to do their own exploration around their, their own answers. Um, firstly, um, I think self-care and the uh, regular regular routines and habits that, um, that keep you centred and calm. And thirdly, um, having compassion. Mm. They would be my top three, really yeah. top three. And I think um, with with that kind of approach, then you're able to take on any any scenario that might arrive and really trust that you'll be resourced mm -hmm. and that, yeah, everything is temporary. This too will pass. Mm. Mm. Such good advice. And I, one of the things that really struck me in an article I read last week and I might have mentioned in my CEO update was that that comment around the experience in, in Melbourne and Sydney and that so much of our planning has been very physical, the barriers, it's been very focused on, you know, automation, online forums, all of these things. But one of the things that's shown is that it's humans that actually do work and it's humans that make our businesses productive. And what we're facing now for the first time, I think, is that reality. What happens if our humans are actually out of the workplace for a while? And that needs to be the top priority in our plan. And that's one of the reasons that we focus so much today's discussion around how do we protect the humans in our workplace, make sure that they're well and that they're healthy, but that we have a plan that if the humans can't show up for work, what do we do in that instance? And I think the compassion around that and being prepared that people are potentially going to ring up and have to stay at home for a period of time, we're going to have to deal with that and how do we deal with that in a compassionate and reasonable way and don't ring people up necessarily and go get back to work tomorrow <laughs> and just cause that spread further. But anything else that you'd like to add before we wind up, ladies? Bounced around a lot, haven't we? Not that I can think of. I, I, yeah, I think the main point also is that I think, you know, we're all going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the most important thing. You yeah. Know, if we catch it, it will be mild. Yeah. We can manage it at home. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All the all the regular things you do for any other cold and flu, same things. And if you get concerned, you know, contact your mm. That's, you know, that's it really. That's your first point of call. Cool. Absolutely. Um, but otherwise for business businesses, I think. Yeah. No, I don't I don't know whether this is I just found this out as a personal thing. Um, if people don't have a regular GP, I would emphasise that you need to find one now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I had a um, staff member who was trying to find out whether she had COVID or not or, you know, this was months mm. and months ago and she could not get a telehealth appointment anywhere because she wasn't a prior patient of that particular surgery okay. so she couldn't even go and get so the only thing she had to do was to go to a um, COVID clinic and line up for four hours to mm. get tested mm. so if you don't have a current GP find one book into one make an appointment sorry I'm giving you a plug here yeah <laughs> so true true you know go in and get a GP so that when you do get sick you can book a telehealth that's great advice. And the other thing I would say is if you do have symptoms of um, COVID, then please don't just walk into a pharmacy without a mask. Yes, or to your GP <laughs> or, or, or to, to anywhere you know, else. Please yeah. ring us and we can try and deal with that. But don't walk in un 
un when we're unprepared mm. for that situation. And I think that something psychologically all of us have got to work through with this particular issue is that whilst we can take harm and, and comfort in the fact that it may be like a cult for us, we still have to protect those around us. And showing up for work and being brave, which was such a part of the 80s and 90s, and certainly my entire, yeah, was built on codril and soldiering on. I can still recall a gastro on a plane flying to Exmouth just so I made it in time to do the consultation. You know, those days are over. And I think we really have to make sure that if we are symptomatic, we are feeling unwell, it is our duty to stay away from other people, including your own family in your own house. You know, I think this is a different beast and please get tested. And yeah, as you said, don't rock up to your GP or your pharmacy to get tested, actually go. And if you're lining up, make sure you've got your mask on, that you're appropriately distanced from other people and take that responsibility because it goes both ways. I think as employers, we can create the best systems in the world to protect our people, but our people still have to make those calls and not go to work when they're symptomatic, actually take the, the time to wear their masks and protect themselves from others to not sneeze in public, you know, all of those things. On that wonderful note, I think we're going to wind up this morning. Thank you all so very much. I certainly feel a lot calmer having just had this conversation. So I'm hoping it... <laughs> um, that's it. Um, but our, um, those listeners are feeling a little bit more clear. And yeah, the two big takeouts, go and write yourselves a plan, work through every scenario you can think of as to what happens if your humans can't come to work and to get, find yourself a GP and make sure that you've made an appointment before uh, things get really crazy. Thank you, ladies, so very, very much. Um, we have the details of each one of our panellists on the website um, as well. So if anyone has further questions, feel free to pop into Nourish or to make an appointment with Sally or to visit Natalie so that we can all become a little more calmer and centred and, and carry that wonderful energy through every day. Thank you all so very much. Thanks, Chris from CloudVid for uh, making it happen and uh, testing our new technology here this morning. Thanks, team.